Welcome to Mormon Media Reviews, a special here on Mormon Book Reviews, uh, where an evangelical encounters the Restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Heinecker, and I want to welcome back onto the program, Rebecca Biblioteca. Thank you for coming on today. You're so welcome, Steve. Always a pleasure. And we have a very special guest who many of you have seen last night's episode of The Fifth Estate on the CBC in Canada, which is a national news program. And it's a very important, hard-hitting journalistic program, very much akin to 60 Minutes here in the United States. Now, I just wanted to say a couple words beforehand. I wanted to go to the church directly. Now, I, I mentioned this yesterday. I'm going to mention it again. If there's anybody from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who would like to come onto the program, email me at mormonbookreviews at gmail.com, all lowercase, and please reach out. If you'd like to send us a statement, we'll be happy to discuss that as well. But I will be having somebody to come on program at some point, a uh, faithful member, to maybe give their perspective. Because uh, honestly, I think there are members of the church that are fine with what the church does with the money. Uh, and, and, and that's interesting, but I also think that's a perspective that needs to be heard as well. But I think it's really important that we have Nigel on today. And because he, his voice needs to be heard as well. Nigel is a very um, faithful Mormon, uh, got married in the temple, uh, and he is also a CPA. Uh, Nigel, welcome to the program. Thank you. So it's been quite a week for you, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been interesting to say the least. So. And what kind of what kind of feedback are you getting from people? Uh, for the most part, it's been really positive. I've received a number of emails and and messages from people who are um, grateful that I reached out the way that I had and who've offered voices of, of support. Um, there have been some. Um, who are members of the church, some who aren't members of the church. Uh, it's been it's been fantastic to to hear those voices. That's not to say that there hasn't been criticism. I've received some of that as well. Um, and I'm happy to um, respond to those criticisms. but as a whole, it's been it's been a very positive experience. Okay. Um, I just was you know, it's really a fascinating thing because here you are, you're just a CPA in Alberta, Canada. And you're a faithful member of the church. And I would just want to kind of know the process of like, what was, what decided, caused you to decide to kind of do this, you know, to reach out to the media. And you talk a little bit about it on the state, but just kind of give us the background of yourself and what led you to uh, pursue this path. Of course, I just want to um, make a, a quick correction. So I was quite active and I was quite devout and I have since stepped back from the church. Um, when I originally was taking a look at the church's finances, I was quite active. And I was even just taking a look at my emails the other day because um, I do a good job of emailing myself so that I've got a, a bit of a record. Uh, and so when I take a look, um, questions started arising for me about church finances going all the way back to 2016. So this is six years. And what had happened at that time was... Um, I was working on an audit of another organization, and they were a religious society at the time, and part of the audit procedures are that uh, we review the CRA, the Canada Revenue Agency's list of charities. They've got a whole charity directorate. So I reviewed and entered the client that I was working with at that time, <clears throat> and which was a completely separate firm than the one that I'm at now. Um, and in, a, in an entirely different city. And so I looked them up there and then found that they were in good standing. And I was like, okay, good, because it's always nice to see when charities are good standing because it's an audit, right? And then out of curiosity, I was like, hey, I wonder how my church does. And so I did a quick search of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints into the search bar and took a look and I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty interesting. 
took a look at their finances, like, oh, this is really good. And then I took a look at their donations that they sent to qualified donees. And I was like, oh, this is really good. Because at the time, I think it was 89 or $100 million or something like that. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And then I took a look and I was like, oh, these qualified donees are Brigham Young University. Like, why are we sending all this money to Brigham Young University? Like, I knew that that the church sent money to BYU. I just had no idea the extent of it. And uh, from there, I, I reached out to my bishop because in Alberta, especially, there was wildfires that were going on at the time. There was lots of need. Um, the Alberta economy had taken a bit of a, of a beating. And so I knew that there was lots of people who were in need. And I expected to see donations to go to, I don't know, like the food bank or a number of other type, like other types of entities similar to that. Um, and so I was a bit flabbergasted to see that, no, we weren't supporting those local charities, that we were supporting a foreign university. Interesting. It's funny to hear Brigham Young University as a foreign university. But, uh, you know, just we had a Zoom call the other day. Mm -hmm. um, and you had mentioned that basically the way it works is that for the first $200 that you give to charitable, charitable giving, you're given a 15% tax credit. And then for any donation that's $200 and above, you get a 33% tax credit. And, and this is done to encourage giving. The idea is, is that when you give to a charity that it is to, like, for instance, if the, this is a food bank that the government does not have to fund because this church or this charity is doing it. So it's the idea is, is that charitable work is done to benefit Canadians, but also alleviate some of the pressures on the government that they know they don't have to fund these programs. Um, maybe exactly. talk a little bit about that. Yeah, exactly. So, like you like you said, um, the first two hundred dollars of charitable giving in Canada, you get a fifteen percent tax credit, right? So, works out really well. Anything over and above that, depending on where your income bracket falls, it'll be either twenty nine or thirty three percent. So, if you're in the top tier, if you're in that top tier bracket, you'll get the thirty three. Um, most people aren't, so they kind of hit that twenty nine. And keeping in mind, this is all federal credits. This doesn't include the provincial credits. If for Alberta, it ends up being about um, the whole tax benefit is 50%. And so like you're given an additional 21% provincially. And so for every dollar you spend over and above $200, it only costs you 50 cents because it's really reduced. Um, well, the intent is that it reduces provincial and federal spending for those programs. Um, and so to see that money that is supposed to be used for Canadian citizens um, is being redirected to a foreign entity. Okay, well, Rebecca, do you have some questions for uh, Nigel? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for talking to us today. I've been watching pretty much all the programs that you're on and listening to all the interviews and you're just thoughtful and a wonderful person and we just appreciate you being here so much today. So my question is, uh, once you made the initial discovery and kind of went down that rabbit hole, did you share that information with anyone in your family? I mean, just kind of more the human side of it. Did you discuss it with your wife or some family members? Was there any of that kind of uh, dialogue going on? Or did you just go straight to, to bishops? No, I like I did talk to family. Um, I, I always told myself I'd never be an accountant because my family's riddled with accountants, both on my side and my wife's side. Um, and so I was like, I'm never going to become an accountant. Um, but here I am. Uh, and so, yeah, like I talked to a few other people and they were like, oh, okay, well, maybe BYU is using it for other resources. Maybe they're sending it to other sources. And at the time that 
appeased me to an extent but yeah like I did talk with my wife and then eventually I did go to my bishop and I was like hey like what's going on here like why are we sending so much money to BYU and the bishop that I had at the time fantastic one of the one of the best people I know um and uh he's like well you know what I don't know this answer but I'll look into it for you and keeping in mind this is six years ago like I was I was quite active I had some yeah so I didn't really have any cracks in my my foundation so to speak and so like it was just a point of interest and I just wanted some clarification on that because I didn't want there to be this perception that the church was misappropriating funds in Canada and uh, so yeah I, I talked to my family and then eventually I went and talked to my bishop and then he gave me um, a response that like I say it, it wasn't quite the response that I was hoping for um, and the response that I was hoping for would be that, oh, yeah, we send the money to BYU so they can use it for charitable purposes. Um, but but he, he honestly didn't know. He said that there was one time where in Canada we donated funds to a wheelchair campaign, which is fantastic. Um, but that, uh, yeah, since then, most of the donations have gone to BYU. And I guess I didn't realize, I think I picked it up on one of your other interviews I listened to, that there really was a time lag between you discover, I, I guess in my mind, I thought, oh, he discovered it and then, you know, went forward. But it sounds like there was a period of time where you kind of put it aside, maybe felt okay about it, talked to some people. But then there must have been a moment, well, first tell us how long that was. It sounds like maybe you're saying years, and then maybe talk a little bit about what finally made you say it's time that that we address this in a more public way. Yeah. Um, so to hit your hit your first point, um, yeah, like it is something that I've been stewing on for a number of years. Um, I uh, I I take a look at what the church has in Canada, and I take a look even at the cost of missions. Because when I reached out to my bishop, I was like, "Well, why aren't we doing more to support missionaries?" For example, right? Like a mission in Canada at, at the time, my understanding was that it cost individuals about ten thousand dollars. I was like, "Oh," or why don't we set up grants for um, people to attend universities here in Canada? Why can't we set up like a, a church endowment fund for Canadians to attend Canadian universities so we can help people attend the universities and schools that we have here? Um, none of those were options. But what eventually did it for me um, was actually just hearing stories of senior missionaries that were serving in locations. These are people who like they've worked their whole lives and they've gotten used to their comforts and then they go serve a mission and i heard stories of some where they were in these dilapidated or like just terrible living conditions and i was like holy cow these are the types of living conditions that we're letting our senior missionaries stay in and uh, like it is kind of it is offensive to me that we have these people that work their lives and then have devoted their time to the church that are then in apartments that don't even have heat. Like I heard stories of people where they needed to open up their their oven so that they could heat up their kitchen. <laughs> wow, that is extremely interesting. Yeah, I, I think, um, tell us about when, who, how did you decide who you first contacted? Did you go straight to the fifth estate or did you kind of mull it over? I mean, what was your process? Because having sat on it for so long, it must have been a very conscious thought process of what you were going to do next. And I find that very interesting. Yeah. So like you mentioned earlier in the interview is that uh, the fifth estate is like the 60 minutes of Canada. And the reason why I went to the fifth estate is because they are a branch of investigative journalists. If they thought there was a story, if there was something to do, 
then they would do their due diligence. Um, I know that there's other news outlets where they do have investigative branches, but none of them have the same reputation that the, that the state has. And so the reason why I went to them was because if they thought this was something worth looking into, then they would. And if not, well, then that's where it lays. So um, for me, it was about trying to clear my conscience because I saw, I saw that there was a need, especially during the pandemic. Um, I've mentioned this before, but there was times when the food banks across Canada were saying that there was significant need. Um, even just yesterday, uh, I read an article that uh, stated how um, the need for food banks was extremely high in the past 24 months or 12 months, excuse me. And so that uh, we have these needs and to see the money going out of country, it, it just, it honestly doesn't sit well with me, especially a church that has as many resources as it does have um, that could fund BYU using other means without doing so on the burden of Canadian taxpayers. You know, a few things, uh, you know, I, I've been getting um, some comments on Reddit and other social media platforms. And one person said, well, this is, there's nothing new here. We, we knew about all this. And I said, but they don't really understand the context of the fifth estate is a major program that you took it to. This is a national news story in Canada. Odds are somebody's going to ask Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau um, about this, or Justin Trudeau <laughs> is going to ask him uh about these questions and maybe there's going to be committees in parliament that might be investigating these things. So this is just really in one sense, just the beginning of the story. And so that's why it's important that we, we talk about this because this is probably going to, this story isn't going to end just on the fifth estate, but there are now people talking in Canada as well. And I think you, you understood that Nigel, when, when you took it to the fifth estate. I did. Um, Cause my whole intent was to drive change. I'm not trying to ruin charitable status of the church. That's not my goal. My goal isn't to say, well, the church is not a, um, shouldn't, well, my goal isn't to, to strip the, the church of its charitable status. Um, I think that if their funds are not being appropriated for charitable purposes, that there could be um, the perception that the church isn't a charity. Um, and taking a look at other spaces, there's lots of people who are upset um, and claim that the that the church isn't a charity. I'm not here to judge. I see that there are lots of people here in Canada who have benefit from the church. And so my experience um, with these people is that, yeah, for them, the church has been charitable. Um, what will happen afterwards? Um, I, I honestly don't know. I really don't know. I see how a few weeks ago, the Fifth Estate did a piece on Hockey Canada and then within a week, yep. Hockey Canada lost all of their sponsors. Yep. Um, I I didn't go to the Fifth Estate to rat out the church or to harm the church. I went to the Fifth Estate to bring attention to the fact that there are Canadian individuals who are benefiting from significant tax credits for money that should be going towards Canadians and Canadian society at large. That isn't. You know, somebody on Reddit um, was asking, "What? What? First of all, folks, let's just make this is all perfectly legal. So the church is not breaking any laws in Canada. No. Um, but I guess one of the questions the person had is, well, what? How does the church, the way they operate as a charity? Uh, you had looked at other charities and other churches to see how they operate. 
maybe say, are there are there charities that have similar um, dynamics where like about half of their money goes outside of the country? Um, you know, those kind of things. That it, how how unique is this in the charitable world in Canada? That I can't speak to. Okay. Um, the organizations that I have um, audited in the past, I haven't seen spending of this magnitude. Um, I know that the church did issue a comment that the fifth estate did release last night that said, well, more than half of the, the tithing donations do stay in Canada. And they're right. If over the last um, 15 years, we found that 46% of tithing did leave the country, then sure, like 54% would have stayed in the country. But if we take a look at the surplus cash, and what I mean by surplus cash is the, the cash available after covering operating costs, it is a significant amount. So yes, 54% of the, the tithing donations stayed in Canada, but after you strip out things like office expenses, rent, excuse me, not rent because the church owns their buildings, but office expenses or property um, taxes or um, any other operating costs, like to send $100 million is almost all of the surplus cash. Did the fifth estate understand almost right away what you were saying, or was there a little bit of an education process, <laughs> maybe even explaining LDS tithing, which is very different from other types of donations to other churches? Did they did they understand you, or did you have a lot of back and forth <laughs> trying to explain it? I had some fantastic conversations with my with my contacts over at the fifth estate um, in Alberta. The church is is well known. Um, it kind of especially in southern Alberta, um, and then in Calgary, it's well known. In Edmonton, it's known, maybe not to the same extent as Calgary, but the church is is recognized here. In other parts of the country, there are definitely fewer members. So I I can't give exact numbers, but there's about two hundred thousand members in Canada, and I'd say a significant majority of them reside in Alberta. So having conversations with members of the fifth, the LDS church was, it is kind of a blip on their radar. They've heard about it, they are aware of the musicals and, and some of the other pop culture references, but when it comes down to the actual intent and purpose of the tithing, and how deeply rooted it is in church um, culture and um, commandments, they were a bit surprised. Um, and so, yes, what, to hit your point of was there a little bit of education, there was, and we had some really good conversations. So for them, it was, it was eye-opening. You know, it's so funny because um, Alberta is a very unique province because it's very much more conservative than the rest of the country. Uh, it's a hotbed for evangelical Christianity. Um, uh, Preston Manning and the Prairie Populace came out of there, which was a largely evangelical political movement. Mm -hmm. So it is quite a force. So Alberta is a very unique place outside of the rest of Canada is more secular. And so people from Toronto and stuff are going to probably, it's, it's, it's like they're in their own bubble. You know, we have found that secular the world and the religious world often don't uh, mixed too much. What was it like for you to, um, you know, have to, like you said, it was good that you had these conversations with them. Do, do you feel that um, they treated you fairly? Your, and also, do you feel that they are, they had the right handle on exactly everything that was going on? Because again, these people don't know anything about religion, generally speaking, especially the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What was it that that whole process like? I was actually really impressed with their empathy. Um, because 
growing up in the church, you you know what it's like and how important it is to um, honor your covenants and to keep the commandments because there's a lot at stake. The church teaches that if you're not faithful, that you are sacrificing and jeopardizing your eternal life, your ability to dwell with God in the celestial kingdom, right? And so growing up with that, having that entrenched into my thinking, it's hard to, to stop thinking like that. It's hard to think that, well, you're good just the way you are. And so for the fifth estate, they, like I said earlier, the people that I, I communicated with, they didn't quite understand um, how emotional of a toll it was because they hadn't experienced it, but they could see it from me and the other people that they communicated with. Um, so it was, it was heartwarming for me to see how empathetic they were. Um, and I've still heard from them. They've reached out to me again this morning just to, to see how I'm doing because they know how, how difficult it can be to speak out, especially with a topic like religion. Like it's, it can be a very polarizing, not it can be, it is a very polarizing topic. Um, and there are lots of people out there who are um, okay not talking about it. Like there's some very close people in my life where we have the silent understanding that I won't talk about it with them and they won't talk about it with me. And there's this mutual respect. And these people, like I have fantastic relationships with them. That's not to say that we don't have these types of discussions, but it isn't argumentative or combative, which is what I've seen many times at, at dinner tables. Um, and so to for the fifth estate to communicate with them and to see their empathy, um, it was it was endearing. I think that's wonderful that you were treated that way. And that's kudos to them, of course. You had mentioned on some of the other um, interviews that I saw you on, a lot of your motivation for this, for coming forward was your children and a legacy or a lesson um, that you'd want to teach them. I just I just love it when you talk about that. Would you share some of that with us today? Oh man, um, my kids are really tender to me. Um... Yeah, my kids. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my kids—they really do mean a lot to me. I don't get emotional about very many things, but my kids and the love that I have for my wife; those are two that uh, they'll get me quite regularly. Um, and so, for my kids, I want them to be happy with who they are. I want my kids to know that they are loved unconditionally. Um, that I'll always be their dad, and that I'm always going to act out in their best interest. Um, life is hard. The world is hard. Um, but yeah, I want to do everything that I can for my kids to make sure that they're growing up in a better place. Um, and I feel like it is my responsibility as a parent. And I think that any parent would agree that they want the best for their kids, that they want their kids to, to live in a world that was better than the one that the parent grew up in. Um, and that like, I want my kids to be better parents than I am. I want my, I want my boys to be a better dad than me. And I want my daughter to be a better mom than my wife. That's not to say that my wife isn't an excellent mother, but like, she's the, whew, my wife, they, they don't get any better than my wife. Um, yeah. Um, but, uh, but I still want them to excel and I want them to do that in a safe place. And I want that to happen in a, in an environment that allows them to flourish however they are, whoever they are. 
No, I love that. And I feel like perhaps some of your motivation for coming forward is that you would want that for everyone where you are in your area and expanded on that and resources help make that possible. So that's kind of my take on maybe some of your motivations for this. I think it's good. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. I, I, um, I, I think it's really important, folks, that, you know, you can tell that Nigel, um, he's a s- sincere person and he cares about his family. And actually, in many ways, you care about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You would like to see this become an organization uh, th- that could do more than what it's doing. You you want, you want see the potential that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can do great good for society. It has the ability to do so. And you're, and you're really, your hope is, and like you said earlier, is that you really just want the church to be able to help people help more people than it already is, maybe help people that are non-members, you know, that kind of stuff with the with the Bishop's Storehouse, those kind of things. Uh, maybe just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, like I take a look at the, the life of Christ. Um, and Christ was the master in helping people. Everything that he did, his, what we have recorded of his ministry is that he went about doing good. Um, he cried out against excessive wealth even if you take a look at um other scriptures that the that are in the lds canon like what is in the book of abraham or in the book of mormon for example there are strong strong teachings on being generous to those who are in need to those who are are destitute like even in mosiah like when they were at the waters of mormon um, they were baptized and made a covenant that they were going to mourn with those who mourn and comfort those who stand in need of comfort. And comfort doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to rub their back when they're sad, um, but comfort means that you're going to provide them with the things that they need to be comfortable, whether that's food on the table or a roof over their head. And so to comfort those people, to provide them with a safe place, that is what I feel like the church has a responsibility and an obligation to do is that they follow more closely the ministry of Christ, um, that they follow more closely the teachings of the Book of Mormon. Because even in the Book of Mormon, if you take a look at Mormon chapter 8, it uh, it does cry out quite heavily about excessive wealth. And it does. It, there are words of caution that you don't be caught up loving your chapels and adorning your buildings more than your love to feed the poor. Now, I'm not accusing the church of anything in this. Um, I'm saying that uh, the warning has already been issued, and that to who like to whom much is given, much is required. Um, and the church has been given a substantial amount um, from its congregants, and so I think that there is absolutely a responsibility to adhere to their mandate. Um, and to do more with what they have. You know, uh, it was interesting because, you know, they were playing cl- clips of Elder Bednar um, interspersed throughout the uh, interview. And I have, I, I'm a friends with a bishop who told me, he says, I'm glad that our church has all this money because we're able to do things that other charities can't do. Um, Elder Bednar, uh, you know, defended the, the, the church having all this money that we should have a rainy day fund, that all people should, all organizations should follow that example of having these rainy day funds. Um, I, I want to ask this question in the context of the idea that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's an idea that we are living in the last days. And so I can understand how a faithful Mormon would look at the assets of the church 
as being a hedge against the coming apocalypse, and that this would be something that can be used to help um, people during the apocalyptic time. Can you kind of understand how maybe a faithful Mormon would feel that way? And maybe that would be the understanding of why people think that the church should have all these assets? Yeah, and I understand that position. Um, like, I can understand that you'd want to have um, a reserve of cash. I can understand that you'd want to have a, a reserve of, of food and water and and even fuel. Um, if I take a, I think it was in the episode last night where they talked about Market Mall, though. And there was a statement from the church that said, yes, that tithing wasn't involved in the building of the mall. It was interest from those investments. So if they've got interest from those investments to build a shopping mall, why don't they use interest from those investments for charitable, charitable purposes? And also, like, you're right, like, if the apocalypse comes, it sounds pretty, it sounds pretty bad. Like, it sounds like it's going to be a, a hard time for everybody. And I'm not an economist. I don't work on, on Wall Street, but I'm pretty sure that uh, when Christ comes again, the stock market's going to crash. And so to have $100 billion invested in marketable securities, I understand having a rainy day fund of, of cash, something that's liquid. But if they're saying, oh, well, this is for the second coming, this is for the apocalypse, I've got some concerns about that. I feel like that that they could probably find other more secure, less volatile places to park it. Mm, interesting perspective. And I appreciate that. You know, I always talk about how it talks in the book of Revelation that the people will be tossing their gold and silver out into the streets because it would be worthless. Uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting perspective that that, that would do. And I, I do appreciate you addressing that because again, I, I try to look at it from the perspective of like, if I'm a, if I'm a faithful Mormon, how do I perceive these things? And I kind of see that's, you know, they're, that's kind of how they're perceiving it. Rebecca, give, maybe give your perspective on this as well. Yeah, I, I think, um, I think most faithful Mormons believe that when they pay their tithing, they are doing charitable works. It's going to purposes like that. I've told the story before about being a child with my dad on Temple Square and, you know, he paid I think 30% tithing. I mean, they donated to every fund. They donated fast offering. And he was approached by a homeless person on Temple Square. This is years ago who held his hand out. And my dad said, oh no, I, I give to the church, you know, and we walked past. And that had a great impact on me as a child because in my dad's mind, an extremely charitable person, he was helping this man, yet he walked right past him. So there was just this disconnect in my wonderful dad's mind. And I wonder do you see that, that they think they're donating to charity and they're doing good, yet it may not be the case? And what could be the education process? Maybe something like this coming forward does help people just stop and think about it. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I've heard the exact same things from other people, um, is that they are quite comfortable with the, the charities that they do donate to. Um, and then I talked to members of the church and they are quite comfortable paying their tithing and they believe that tithing for them is sufficient. And I'm not here to judge them. And they have their own reasons. I've heard it said that uh, that they're happy to donate to the church because the church doesn't have any salaried staff. And so like overhead's a lot lower. And so then they know that more of their funds that they donate are going towards people and less to overhead. I think that, uh, that what was shown last night um, might suggest something differently and that, well, it's going not necessarily to, to some of these charities that we were hoping for. Um, but no, I understand that lots of lots of very faithful members of the church are happy to get their tithing um, and they don't think twice about it because 
it comes down to the fact that it's a commandment for them. They've been commanded to give, and so they'll give. And they've covenanted that they're not going to question anything, and so they don't. They pay their tithing, and they are happy to do so, knowing that they have fulfilled what they are taught to be God's commandments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I kind of find that... Uh having been a tithe payer my entire life and then in the past couple years not and instead choosing the actual charities or the people that I choose to help um to me it's a little more rewarding <laughs> than just to hand a check you know to a bishop but to actually make that conscious choice find something I care about or individuals that I care about that I'd like to help so to me it's been rewarding to to get have more of a personal touch on it so I, that's just kind of my perspective. No, and I agree with that. That's how I feel with my charitable giving as well. So that's not to say that I didn't feel good when I was donating money to the church. Um, but after it came to my attention that it wasn't going to purposes that I had originally thought, it changed my perspective. Um, and so now when I donate to the other charities that I do, it has, like you say, more meaning. And I do take a look at these other organizations. I do take a look at their books. Like, it's not like I'm just hitting on the church. I make sure that when I'm doing something that I'm still maintaining true to myself. Um, and so, yeah, like, I, like I, I said just a few seconds ago, yeah, I do take a look at these other entities that I do donate to. And I'm happy with what I see in their books. You know, one of the things that I, I like to talk about, too, is just people's you know, people's personal faith journey. And this is something that I think because, of course, if you've all watched my episodes of Mormon Stories, I was an atheist for a long time. Um, it, I, I was, I, I, I experienced uh, spiritual abuse and PTSD. And it was a very hard period of time in my life to kind of lose your best friend being God, right? Losing your best friend. And I'm very sensitive to this. And, and Nigel, you can discuss however you want, but how is your faith journey? right now and how has it been affected by all that this stuff that's been going on so when i was in university i heard i took a philosophy course and i heard the uh, this argument i think it was uh thomas aquinas um the ontological argument and i don't want to get into the philosophy of it and i'll probably butcher it if i do um but suffice it to say that i heard this argument about the existence of god i was like that totally makes sense to me and for that reason, I've never been able to shake that. And so the existence of, of God, I can't question that. No matter how hard I try, I just cannot shake the belief that there's a God. And when I say try, it's not that I'm like trying to fool myself. It's just that like no matter how hard I think about it, I cannot shake my belief that there is a God. Um, I think that when we take a look at religion and spirituality, for me, there's a significance, a significant difference between religion and spirituality. Um, for me, spirituality is my relationship that I have with God, um, and spiritual and religion, excuse me, is other people trying to tell me how I'm supposed to have my relationship with God. Um, and so, my faith journey has been more about me building my relationship with God, which is actually a lot in line with what the church has been moving towards recently about having your own spiritual relationship um, and less being told what to do um and so for that i i'd say that yeah like my spiritual journey and experiences are still about me building a relationship with god and for me my god is a god of love um and a god of kindness and charity um 
And so that is what I, I try to do in my life is to emulate those um, those characteristics. Did you serve a, a survey mission? I did. No, it was uh, I had I served in Utah actually. I served oh, really? in uh, yeah, I served in Ogden, Utah. I uh, everywhere from Bountiful, Utah up to Bear Lake. Um, and so it was a great experience. I built some really good friendships and I had some fantastic experiences when I was there. And I know that there's some people who have left the church where they say, oh, well, what a waste of my life that was. That hasn't been my experience, and nor my sentiment. I had a great time when I was on my mission. I learned a lot of really good life skills. Um, and so, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I had I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. Utah, it's a beautiful place. Um, yeah, I wish that I could have gone skiing or things like that, but uh, unfortunately, you're not allowed to do that as a missionary. But yeah, no, I had a great time serving a mission, so... That's great. And Rebecca, you just sent off your son to his mission. He's in the MTC right now, ready to go to Arkansas on Wednesday. So I'm doing the delivering the packages and sending the treats and getting the crazy pictures of him doing who knows what. Like, yeah. what are they doing in that MTC? But yeah, it's it's interesting to be part of that process. So that's, have you returned back to Utah since you served your mission or... Yeah, just once. So within a year of me, yeah, just within a year of me being home, I went down to to visit some some people. Um, but then I was also married within a year of being home for a mission, and then I was in school, and um, then I had kids. And so. Yeah, I I understand that. So you talk about wonderful relationships on your mission and people that you know. Um, as far as reaction to this, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Just some of the. You know, it sounds like you have wonderful friends, wonderful support system, wonderful relationships. Tell us a little bit about some of the varied reactions that you're getting. Well, it's uh, so somebody messaged me on Facebook yesterday and they were the grand. I got to I got to get this right. They were the grandmother of the wife of a mission companion. No, excuse me, not a mission companion of a missionaries in the same district with. Um, and then the same individual, her husband actually knew my dad. Um, they went to university together. And so it's been really interesting to see how all the different connections kind of kind of come through. Um, I've heard from um, a number of friends um, that are just like, you know what, like, I appreciate what you did. And I've heard from complete strangers that I don't know. They're like, hey, I appreciate what you did. I've received some criticisms as well, like, um, was somebody uh, messaged me and then subsequently deleted that message but uh, they said that I'm a, a covenant breaker and that uh, I should be careful um like not in any threatening ominous terms right but yeah, yeah that I'm a covenant breaker I had uh somebody else would tell me that oh well people who who leave the church um can't leave the church alone which I found kind of interesting and ironic because she wasn't leaving me alone either. Um, <laughs> but uh, for the most part, there's been lots of people who have um, sent very, very encouraging words. I've had clients who have reached out to me um, and uh, have expressed um, their gratitude and appreciation for me. And so it's uh, it's been it's been a really neat experience. Um, nobody likes taking criticism, right? Uh, nobody likes. Um, the hurtful comments and sometimes it'll, it takes a lot of positive ones to offset those negative ones um, but I don't regret what I did wow well Nigel I just want to 
Thank you so much for coming on to the program today. Rebecca, did you have any question, more questions for Nigel? I think just to say that we really admire you. And oftentimes in the church, uh, change only happens when somebody stands up and draws attention. And sometimes then that person, you know, will face consequences in different ways, like you've mentioned. But, you know, it takes that person to draw attention and open everyone's eyes on, on all sides of it. So we just really admire you. And thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you. Um, I just want to thank you for coming on the program today. Um, I think it's important that Nigel's voice be heard. Um, and he's very sincere in, in this endeavor. And he really wants, he's actually wants what's best for the church. He wants the church to be that force for good in the world. And this is his contribution in his own way to help facilitate that. Um, Nigel, you have any final words you'd like to share with the audience before we let you go? I don't think so. Okay. Well, no, I've uh, spent a lot of time talking with people. I'm kind of. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you're not done with that. I'm sure yeah, this is yeah. only the beginning. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, and again, really cool for you to come on, to uh, commit to coming on our program, and uh, we really do appreciate this. And folks, I just want to remind you: don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button, and also the notification bell for when a new episode comes out. There are links in the description if you'd like to support the channel financially on both PayPal and Patreon. Don't forget the merch store, mormonbookreviews.com. Show the mug. There we go. If you'd like to support the channel that way. Um, I just want to thank all of you for sitting in on this interview. I also want to remind you that all the voices of the restoration will be heard here on Mormon Book Reviews.